Struggle is real, isn't it? Come on, church. Is the struggle real? It's real. And maybe you're, let's just say this, maybe you're new today and you're like, man, they act like a family there. Because we are family. And family takes care of family. I don't mean to sound like a mafia guy there, but family <laughs> takes care of family. And so we love you guys and we'll continue to pray for them and be there. Listen, you don't have to have the right words, but presence goes a long way. Just be there. Be there with them and for them. Now today we're going to continue our series and we're going to talk about struggle. And we're going to talk about really the primary struggle that every single one of us have. And the struggle we all have is the struggle with sin. Every single one of us, from this side of the room to Bill, all the way over to Jason, including this guy, every single one of us struggle with sin. And so what we talked about last week was this, as we jumped into Romans 6, 7, 8, that the struggle that we go through is the struggle with sin, and that what we learned in the first 14 verses was this, is that if you become a follower of Jesus, you have died to sin, and now you are alive in Christ. That you've died to the weight, the burden, the penalty, and the payment of sin, and now you've been given a new life in Christ. Here's what that means. Sin doesn't have control over you anymore. Sin has no jurisdiction in your life. Sin has no authority over you anymore. Rather, it's the Holy Spirit in you that now controls you, helps you navigate, and guides you through your life. And what Paul does in the first 14 verses, he's, he reminds us that if you're a believer, you have died to sin, and now you're alive in Christ. So quite frankly, quit engaging in sin, right? Quit, for, quite frankly, because of what Jesus has done for you, stop sinning. Stop being enticed by it. Stop giving into it. Stop following your heart that desires to rebel against God. Now today, Paul's going to pick up on the same theme, and he's going to take it a little bit deeper this morning. And in chapter 6, I want you to look with me in verse 15 through 23. And as we often do around here, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Would you stand with me this morning? Romans chapter 6, verse 15. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Paul writes this, what then? Now what then refers us back. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are not under the law, but we are under grace. By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once who were slaves have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of these things, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end is what? Come on, read it with me. It's what? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We ask you to open this, the truth of your word open to our hearts this morning. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, let me just remind you, 
Paul has just told them, you are, if you're a Christian, you're dead to sin, and now you have new life in Christ. So stop engaging in sin. I could say that every Sunday, and we would need to hear that every Sunday, right? Because if you are dead to sin, you have, sin has no power over you. So stop engaging sin. Stop following the path of sin. And then he takes it a step further here. And what I love about Paul's, did you notice he starts this next section off with another question? Do you remember last week in verse 1, he starts off with a question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, should we just go ahead and keep sinning so God's grace can be known to the world? Wouldn't that be fun, right? Hey, let's just do whatever your heart desires. Let's just sin. Let's just keep doing everything we want because we want God's grace to be known to the world. That's what the people in Rome were kind of thinking. And Paul goes, is this your heartbeat? Is this what I want you to do? And how did he answer that question? No, by no means. And then he comes back and he asks another question. Look at the question he asks again. Go back to verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but we are under grace? Now, what Paul's doing is he's reminding them of what he just said. In verse 14, if you backed up a verse, he's told them that, listen, you are now no longer under the law. You are now under grace. Here's what that means. You are now no longer under a mindset that tells you that you must perform to be accepted. That mindset's dead. You no longer have to live that way. Listen to me, church. There's too many of us in this room today that somehow feel like if my good outweighs my bad, if the balance goes, if I do more good and God sees that I've done good and worked really hard to do good and I've worked as hard as I possibly can, at some point and someday, maybe he'll go, well, he's good enough to get in. Listen, that's never going to happen. Because we are all wretched before God. You can't work enough. You can't be good enough to enter into heaven on your own merit. And so it's like, listen, I want you to know. Because you're, you are no longer under the law. You are no longer under this mindset that says you must perform to be accepted. Now you're under, listen, grace. What's grace? God's undeserving love for humanity. I don't know if you thought about this or not this morning. You don't deserve God's love. Did you know that this morning? I don't deserve God's. We do not deserve God's love. But guess what? He gives it to us anyway. And so Paul understands that this church of Rome has now heard him say, you're not under the law, but now you're under grace. So they ask, he's kind of playing the devil's advocate, and he knows what his naysayers are thinking. And they're thinking, well, if that's true, what then? Are we just to sin? In other words, if we're under grace, not the law, meaning if God's going to love us no matter what, listen to this, does it even matter if we sin at all? Does sin, I mean, before they were kind of thinking, well, maybe we should sin so that God's glory could be known, right? Or, I mean, we kind of done that, right? No. But now they're kind of asking the question, well, if we're under God's grace, does it matter if we do what we want to do anyway? In other words, they're kind of asking the question, is it possible that grace has entitled us to sin? Because we're under God's law, I mean love, and his grace, then can we not just do anything that we want to do? That's kind of what they're asking. Now, how does Paul answer that question? Look at the rest of verse 15. He says something fascinating here. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Doug, nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks that we can just do whatever we want to do because we're under God's grace. And I would say, you're wrong. I think we all do that. Hey, can you think of a moment in your life when you were about to do something and the Holy Spirit kind of moved in your heart and you knew that what you were about to do was clearly sin? 
Anybody ever had that moment in your life? Did you still go ahead and do it? So weren't you doing the very thing that Paul's saying that we should not be doing? Yeah, some of us have bought into a mindset, well, if God's going to love me no matter what, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like I was, when I was a kid, my brother and I would always have to go out and shovel snow. I don't know how my sister got out of this. But anyway, we would shovel snow. And my mom would tell us, hey, listen, don't play in the snow. Just shovel it, clean my car off so if we need to get out, we can get out. So we would go out there, and I would get snowballs and make them and start chucking them at my brother. And he'd go, my brother Mike would go, hey, Doug, mom told us not to play in the snow. I'm like, listen, man, we're not going to come back at any other time today. We were doing all this work for her. We're going to get in trouble anyway. I'm going to have fun while I'm out here, right? It's like, we're going to be, I'm going to experience this anyway. I might as well enjoy myself in the moment, right? And so obviously I did get in trouble for that. But regardless, that's how we approach life sometimes. It's kind of this notion of, well, I know God loves me. I'm still going to do it anyway. So you may think that there's nobody that thinks that way, but I would submit that we all think that way. I would contend that every one of us have wrestled with this idea. And then here's Paul's answer, verse 15. He said, are we, what shall we say then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And he says, by no means. Do you not know that you, when you present yourselves to anyone to, as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Here's what Paul says. There's no way you should have that mentality. There's nothing in you, if you're thinking about your life and you know that sin is rebellion against God, no, you should not continue to sin. No, you shouldn't keep sinning. No, you shouldn't look at it going, hey, God loves me no matter what I do, so I'm going to do what I want to do. No, 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 is what Paul says. But then he says something fascinating. No one does he say no, and he says no by no means, which is a harsh no. It's not like a, no, I don't think you ought to do that. It's like a demonstrative no kind of a thing, right? And then he does something fascinating. He says, don't you know that when you present your body or your members, in other words, your total self, you're either going to present it to sin or to God. In other words, the word present here means you voluntarily obey something or someone. Here's what Paul's saying. Every single one of us will voluntarily obey something or someone. Every single one of us. Every single one of us in the room are either going to obey something or someone. Every, there's no exception. We will voluntarily submit ourselves to something. We will all be slaves to something. Now, I know in our world, especially when you read the book of Romans, that word slaves gets thrown around a lot. I know for you and I, that word has a horrific overtone from what we know that was experienced way back when in the 1800s through the Civil War and all of that. I know that. But you may not know this, that when you come to Scripture, being a slave wasn't all bad. It wasn't like our view of slavery. And some of it could have been, but not all of it. In fact, you could be a slave to a prestigious, wealthy person and have more rights and more freedoms than a freedman could that was poor and had no influence. Did you know that? So what he's saying is, listen, you're going to be a slave to something as a human being. You're going to voluntarily obey something in your life. And then Paul says there's two things you're going to choose. You're either going to obey sin or you're going to obey God. You're either going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to God. A slave to sin is someone who decides, I'm going to live my life in disobedience to God. I'm going to live my life to satisfy myself and to live for me, myself, and what? I. That's someone who's slave to sin. Or you are going to be a slave to God. 
which is someone who lives their life desiring, desiring to live a life that's pleasing to him. So here's a quick question for you. Which one are you a slave to this morning? And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Doug, I, I want to say God and maybe sin. How do I know? How do I know what I'm a slave to this morning, Doug? Well, it's really easy. It's basically look at the characteristics of your life. When you look at the activity, decisions, and behavior of your life, is it driven by this? Are you, when you look at it, you like see this overwhelming desire to sin and to do what you want to do and to follow your path? Or do you see this person who, yes, struggles, yes, blows it, yes, struggles with sin, but you have a desire to honor and please God? Which one is it? See, I believe that our activity determines what we're a slave to. So which is it? Are we a slave to sin? Are we a slave to God? See, Paul kind of stops there for a moment. It's kind of a, a pause there when he writes it because he's like, I want you to answer that question. Because if you are a slave to God, then he goes on. If you're a slave to God, then he kind of draws us in and going, now I want you to understand because now you know you're a slave to God. Now I want you to understand your relationship as a believer to sin. And so what Paul does as we finish the passage and we keep reading, Paul tells us now for those that are believers, after you've answered the question, what are you a slave to? He says, if you're a believer, I want to give you the truth about your relationship with sin. I want you to understand your new relationship with sin. And look with me what it says in verse 17 and 18. He says this, that if you're a slave to sin in verse 16, he says, where does that lead? It leads to death. Now we're not just talking physical death, we're talking spiritual death. Those who are driven by sin, who don't have a relationship with Christ, that that is your master, it leads to a place called death. But those that are slave to God, it leads to righteousness. It leads to a right standing with God. And then he says this in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standards of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, he says this, and having been set free from sin and having become slaves of righteousness. Here's the first thing Paul tells us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a slave to God, here's something about your relationship to sin you need to understand. First of all, your status has changed. Our status has changed. I find it interesting on Facebook watching people's status change. In fact, it's almost humorous to go single, engaged. I'm single again. I mean, you know, I mean, is we're enamored with people's status. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your status has changed. You hear what Paul said? He said, thanks be to God who you used to be. He said, you were once slaves to sin, right? Before Jesus, you were a slave to sin. That's who you used to be. Now, this idea of slavery is the idea of bondage. And if I had a bunch of chains up here, which would have been a great idea, I would have chained Tyler Peck up here, and I could have chained him up really good. And then I would say, that's what sin looks like. I'm in bondage. I'm in chains. I'm bound to it. It's something that's weighing me down. I'm bound to it. He said, before Christ, that's who you were. You were enslaved. You were in bondage. You were in chains to sin. That's who you used to be. But then he says, but something happened. It changed. He says here in the phrase, he says that, that, you, that you became obedient from the heart. 
meaning that something changed in here. In other words, something happened where we came face to face with the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's love for us, and there was something in us that yielded our lives to him and turned from our sin and said yes to Jesus. Who we used to be was a slave to sin. Who we are now is a child of the Most High God. Is that good news this morning, church? See, that's, now here's the problem. Most of us are living in who we used to be instead of enjoying who God has made us to be, right? Most of us are living back in the used to good years and what we used to be instead of living in what God has done for us right now. He said, you used to be slaves, but now your life has changed. And because of that, listen, he says, because of that, now you're free from the bondage of sin. Now the weight, the burden, and the bondage of sin has been taken away from you. Who took that sin away from us? Who took it away? Jesus did. Who took the penalty, the power of sin away from us? Jesus did. All Because we're now followers of Jesus, now because we're children of God, we are free from the bondage of sin. Will you still fail? Yes. Will you still be tempted? Yes. Will you still struggle? Yes. But sin is no longer your master. Did you hear that this morning? Sin is is no longer your master. He says, rather than you being slaves of sin, which you are not, now you are slaves to righteousness. You're no longer slaves as believers. You're no longer slaves of sin. Now he says, you're slaves of righteousness. And here's what he means. Now, now what controls us, now what dominates us, now what empowers us, now what influences us is the Holy Spirit. It's living a life that is pleasing to God, not living a life for me, myself, and I. Isn't that beautiful? Who I used to be was a slave to sin, but who I am now in Christ is a slave to righteousness. Now everything that drives me, motivates me, controls me, empowers me, and influences me is this deep desire within me to live, to please God. See, your status has changed, church, and here's the caveat to it. We need to start acting like it. Your status has changed, it's time to act like it. I was reading this week a story about Abraham Lincoln. You probably know the story better than I do, but I was reading the story about Abraham Lincoln. And it was talking about when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. You all know what that is, right? It's a document he signed on January 1 of 18, I think it was 63. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which sent the word out that all people who own slaves and all slaves are now free. That was probably one of the greatest moments in our country's history when that document was sent out. But you know what one of the most horrific things was? There were a lot of people that were slaves during that time that knew the document existed, and they never acted on it. They stayed as slaves. That's all they knew. Now listen to me. Is that tragic? Yeah. But you know what is equally tragic? As how many of us as Christians have been set free from the bondage of sin and we're still living slaves to sin. We're still living like sin masters us. We need to realize our status has changed. Before Christ, slave to sin. Because of Christ, slave to righteousness. Now my life is driven by living a life pleasing to him. Stop going back to slavery and start living as a freed person in Christ. Amen, church? Our status has changed. The second thing he tells us is found in verse 19. He says this, I am speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. That's Paul's way of saying, I'm going to say this plainly because you're just not that smart. All right, here we go. He says, 
For just as once presented to you members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here's what Paul says. I want to speak to you in human terms. I want to speak to you where you understand. And I want to do it because of your human limitation. Here's what Paul is really saying. is I understand that even as followers of Christ, we still have corrupt ways of thinking. Sin still has a remnant in our lives. There's still a way that our mind has been corrupted, our thinking has been corrupted, our decision-making has been corrupted. So I understand that. So I want you to be clear about something. So I'm going to say this plainly. Before Christ, you were slaves to sin. We all agree with that. But Paul does something interesting here. He goes, look, not only has your status changed, now your behavior should change. Now that your status has changed, now your behavior must change. See, before Christ, he says, listen, we were slaves to sin. In fact, in this passage, if you notice, he put out for us two categories of sin, impurities and lawlessness, right? Impurities reflects those inward sins we struggle with, like, for example, rage, resentment, hatred, right? All those sinful things. It's kind of that internal impurity. Lawlessness is a reflection of, of the outward sins that we commit. He said, listen, when, before Christ, you were slave. Inwardly, there's a lot of impurity in you. Outwardly, you were just rebelling and living in lawlessness. And this impurity and this uh, lawlessness, guess what it leads to? More lawlessness, right? I mean, I mean, basically what he's saying is sin has spread everywhere in your body. It has spread everywhere in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, in your decision. It has spread everywhere. It is in every corner of your life. Isn't that encouraging to know this morning? In fact, I remember when we lived in Tennessee, I had a good friend of mine. His name was David Bramble. He's now the pastor of the church. He grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Anybody been to Chattanooga? You're not missing anything. Anyway, he went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And if you go to Chattanooga, there's a lot of hills there. And one thing he said growing up as a kid they had problems with was all these massive hills and that you'd go through is all the, wa the water would run off and there would be like all these mudslides that would get onto the highway and you would no longer be able to traffic it. So like what can we do to make sure that the ground stays put and make sure that we don't have all this runoff onto the roads? So they came across something in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They, I guess they researched it and they came up with this idea, this solution. It was to put out a grass on the sides of these big hills. It was called kudzu. Anybody ever heard of kudzu? Kudzu. In fact, if you drive through Chattanooga, you will see it, and you'll see it in a lot of different places. Here's the problem with kudzu. It doesn't stop spreading. It didn't just stay on the hillside. Guess what it did? It overtook the trees. In fact, if you drive through Chattanooga, Tennessee, you will go through sections of that, that city where it's not just the hillside filled with kudzu, all the trees, all the... I mean, it's like this one massive picture of kudzu grass that has overtaken everything. That's Paul's point. Before Christ, sin took over every part of your life. But since you know Christ, and since before Christ, you were really good, your behavior before Christ, your behavior reflected your heart's condition. Your behavior, how you decided things, what you did, fell perfectly in line with the fact that you, if you wanted to sin, you just did it because that's before Christ. So your heart mashed up with your behavior. But since Christ, since we have a new master, Paul says, our behavior now should not reflect our old selves. Now our new behavior should reflect our pursuit of righteousness. Right? If you're a child of God, your behavior should not reflect 
your pursuit of sinfulness, it should reflect your pursuit of being right with God and living a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. And he says, when we make this pursuit of righteousness, guess where it leads? Jody and I were talking about this morning. It leads to what? Sanctification. Like, oh, wait a minute. That's a huge church word. What in the world does that mean? It just means holiness. See, when we pursue living a life that's honoring and pleasing to God, through the reading and implementation of God's word, his breath, his love letter to mankind and to our lives, it not only puts us on a path to live a life that's pleasing to him, it puts us on a journey of sanctification. How many of you are perfect right now? I mean, you have no areas to improve beside Tyler Peck. How many of you like have no other areas to improve on? Anybody? How many of you are like this guy? I'm a huge work in progress. Okay. He said, listen, when we start pursuing righteousness and our behavior starts reflecting that, guess what? It leads to sanctification. It leads to you becoming holy. And that word holy just means a few things. I mean, when we're on a path of holiness, that means we're reflecting to be more like Jesus. It means that we are now being set apart. Listen, if we are pursuing righteousness, the work that God is doing in our lives will lead us to behave and to act and to say and to make decisions that will reflect not what the world thinks, but will reflect what God thinks. So that when people look at your life, they go, there's something different about them. There's something different about that Travis Tanner over there because the way he acts in the situation that could have gone really south, man, there's something different about it. There's something different about that Randy Schwartz back there because how he acts in the situation, nobody acts that way. The world would have done this, but man, he, what is it about him that's so different? See, when we start living our life pursuing not sinfulness, but righteousness, our behavior should reflect that. So Paul says, listen, church, your status has changed but because your status has changed, your behavior should also change. If that makes sense to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? I hope you get that. And there's one more thing he notices this morning. I want you to notice. In verse 20, he says this, the last thing. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of those things, of which you are now not ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Here's what he says. Listen, your status has changed. Therefore, your behavior should change. And ultimately, he says, listen, as a follower of Christ, we have a promise that is secure. Did you notice what he said there at the very beginning? He says, before Christ, you are free from righteousness. In other words, before I knew Christ, I had no desire to live a life that was pleasing to God, right? Before you accepted Jesus, you had no desire to live a life that was honoring and pleasing to him. In fact, if you were to go back and to look at that life, what you would find out is the decisions you made, the things that you did, the activity of your life only brought pain and shame, right? But with Christ, everything changed for you. With Christ, the fruit of pursuing righteousness, the fruit of you pursuing him and living for him is now holiness. It's now you becoming more like Christ. And ultimately, the reward is eternal life. Ultimately, the reward is that one day we get to be where Owen is. We get to be where Kyle is. We get to be in the presence of Almighty God to worship, to serve, and to celebrate him for all eternity. And then Paul does something that I love, and you've probably never read it this way. Paul puts an exclamation point on his words. 
with a verse. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, he's saying, listen, if I've confused you thoroughly, <laughs> if you don't get what I'm saying here, let me kind of put it into a nutshell. Let me say it very plainly. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've accepted him, you have a promise of an eternal life to be with him, and that is secure. In fact, one of my favorite verses I talked about in Discover Cross Life is John 10, 20. It says, once the Father has given you eternal life, no one can pluck you from the Father's hand. No one, no body, no thing. If you are a child of the Most High God, your eternity is secure, and one day heaven is your home. So this morning, I want to close with this. What are you enslaved to? Be honest. What are you enslaved to? If sin is the master of your life, can I challenge you to make this response this morning? Would you surrender your life to Christ? I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm talking about like sin is the master of your life. Like you have no desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. And you reflected this morning and what you've realized is that sin is dominating, mastering, and driving everything you do in life. You're driven by pleasing me, myself, and I. And that's it. My prayer for you is that this morning you would make this decision. That you would realize that the, the place that's going to lead you, it's going to lead to shame. It's going to lead to pain. And eventually, it's going to lead to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And is your eternity worth you banking on, maybe I can be good enough to get in? And my prayer is that this morning, you would make this decision that you would realize that God loves you so much that he sent his son. And that today, if sin has been your master, that you would turn from your sin and say, I no longer want to live this life. And now I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and ask him to be the Lord, the boss, and the master of my life. Maybe you need to make that decision this morning. Or if you're a believer this morning, can I challenge you with this? If you're a believer... Would you just pause and would you just remember, hey, my status has changed. I'm no longer, sin doesn't own me. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. I'm a slave to living for him, not this. And I, listen, would you make this commitment? I refuse to go back. I refuse to go back to the slavery of sin. I refuse to go back. Would you remember that your status has changed? And also, believers, would you remember that because your status has changed, your behavior should change? And quite frankly, there's maybe some of us in the room that know that you belong to Christ, and today, because of your behavior has not reflected your status change, you need to repent this morning. You need to get before a holy God and say, God, I have wronged you. I've rebelled against you. I've sinned against you. And God, would you forgive me that sin? Would you, would you grow me? Would you change me? Would you do a work in my life so I can live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you? Some of us, our behavior is not matching our status change, and we need to cry out to God and confess our sins to him. But then last of all, as a believer, would you remember that you have eternal life that, yes, begins now, but still waits for you out there. Heaven is now your home, which means today we can enjoy the gift. We can celebrate the reward, and we can long 
for his return. Amen, church? So as a believer, would you remember those things? And maybe you need to make a decision. Maybe you need to ask God to do a work in your life. Maybe you need to be reminded, my status has changed and I'm not going back. Well, you can respond however you want to. You can respond by coming to this altar and just getting before God by yourself and saying, Lord, would you speak to me this morning? Or we're going to have Jason's going to be over here by the, the, the curtain and, and Pat and Willie will be over here. If you wanted somebody just to pray with you because you're going through some junk in your life, they would love to pray with you. Or you can grab that little blue thing that we gave you this morning, the blue handout, and you can respond by filling that out and dropping it at the connection table on your way this morning. My prayer is that every single one of us, from those that are followers of Christ to those that are struggling to whether we know Christ and whether we want to or not, that we would all equally respond to the Lord this morning. So I'm going to ask you right now, would everybody stand with me? Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you and I thank you this morning. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I just, I just pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would, would have the privilege to experience what I experienced in preparation for this message. And that's celebration and conviction. Conviction that I, I too often go back and allow myself to be slave to sin. I too go back and, and allow myself to be driven by sin. But I'm your child. I belong to you. I've been adopted into your family. And you love me. And God, may I celebrate that. May I embrace that. May I start living a life that's honoring and pleasing. God, may that be our heart this morning, that we're not going back to slavery. We're going to live as freed people celebrating and living for you. But also pray, Lord, that our behavior would follow suit. That we would take a hard look at our lives this morning and ask the hard question as a believer, does my words and my actions sync up? And if not, may I change that this morning. And then God, last of all, I'll pray for those who don't know you. Maybe those who have heard about you, They've heard the truth of what Jesus has done for them, but have never had the courage to surrender. Lord, I pray today they would surrender their lives to you. God, we were reminded today that if we continue to be slaves to sin, driven by sin, and don't have a relationship with you, that ends in death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. That those who die and leave this world who do not know you will spend eternity apart from you. So God, I pray for those people who need to make that decision this morning. Will they have the courage to say yes to Jesus? God, we love you. And we need you this morning. Would you challenge us? Would you convict us this morning? But God, I desperately pray more than anything else, would you change us? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now. The altar's open. If you want to come and get alone and just get before God and talk about what's going on in your life, then it's open. If you need somebody to pray with you, we've got people on both sides. But however the Lord is working in your heart today, would you just pause this morning? Maybe it's your first time with us. Maybe you've been here since we started nine years ago. Would you just not let this moment pass you by? Would you take a moment and just say, Lord, what decision do I need to make so that I can live passionately and urgently for you. And whatever that is, would you be faithful to respond that way as the band continues to lead us in worship?